Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Go ahead and get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Today, I want you to find three places in your Bibles, three locations. Get them. We're going to leave that up on the screen for a second so that you can write them down and then find these locations. And we're going to hit them in that order. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, 1 John 4, verse 20, and Matthew 18, 21. And it's time for us to go online. In fact, I'm just getting, my, my watch actually notifies me of the moment that we go online. So just to, just to let you know, I, I do want to greet and welcome the online congregation. Thank you for joining us. And we're encouraging everyone to, to get in their Bibles right now. Ephesians chapter 6, 1, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, and Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Uh, every single person has been born into or adopted into something called a family. But not everybody has the joy of the experience of a Christian family. Uh, some of you come from homes where uh, there was a health, healthy atmosphere, a lot of love, and it was Christ-centered, and, and that's wonderful. Uh, but some of you also come from broken homes or, or even broken situations. And in your home, you've experienced more, uh, more pain. And it's instead of joy, it's just been pain that you've had to walk through in your life as because of your home life. Now, I want to say this right up front today. There is no perfect family. Every family has some level of dysfunction functioning in it. And that's the truth. In fact, there, there is not even a model perfect family in the Bible. That doesn't exist either. Uh, we are imperfect people living in an imperfect world we have imperfect families, but there is no reason to ever give up. We want to continue to pursue a solid family and, and for us to not just pursue it in our own homes, but help to perpetuate it outside of our homes. So I, I encourage you right from the beginning here, fight for your family and strive to do your very best with the help of God, because we all need the help of God when it comes to our families. And and truth be told, regardless of your past, whatever happened to you and your family, maybe growing up or potentially the current situation in your family, everyone is free to set the tone for your family. Everyone. And, and everyone has the responsibility to create a godly atmosphere. Uh, if you're single and you're here today and you're hoping that someday you'll have a family of your own, well, what I'm, what I'm going to talk about today will be of great help. Others of you, you're, you're married, you're hoping for children. What I'm going to share with you today is going to be of great, great help. 
take some notes. Get ready to, to take pictures and image, of the images that are up on the screen of the various points that I'm going to be addressing today. Uh, maybe you're a single parent and you're doing everything you can to hold things together. Well, first of all, God bless you. I always say God, God blesses single parents more than anyone because single parents really need that extra support and encouragement. What I'm sharing with you today will be of encouragement to you. And, and, uh, if you are parents right now of children or teens or you are grandparents or even if you are children in a home, this message is for you. So I want you to receive this with all of your heart. Also, most of you have siblings, brothers and sisters, and I'm going to do my very best to address all of these today in this message. So at the center of God's creation, his, his plan for humanity is actually the family. And we all have a responsibility to maintain and to build healthy families. Uh, Jesus himself was born into a family, but his family wasn't even perfect. I mean, he, he was born into this world from two parents who were not yet married. Of course, you, that's, that's part of the Christmas story. If you don't understand that, just wait till Christmas. We'll get into the details on that. But he was born into an unmarried family. And later on, his dad disappears from the scene sometime after he was 12 years old, which very, is very obvious to me because at some, we know he had a lot of younger siblings. So at some point, Mary was a single mother raising these kids, raising this family. Also, the Bible compares the church to a family. Uh, the Bible tells us, and Paul even tells us, that we are co-heirs with Christ. Uh, it's, it's part of a, a legacy. We're, we're called the children of God. And regularly we refer to God as our Father. And, and essentially God as our Father, you know, he, he gives us certain directives, ways to live in our lives. And what we are to do is we're supposed to perpetuate that within families. And families, big part of families is so that, so that children, younger people in the home can be trained in the ways of God and equipped through the word of God so they can also have healthy families. So the title of my message today is one word, it is family. This is part of my series called The People in Our Lives, and I'm tackling this topic of family today. Now, I, I want to tell you this clearly as your pastor. It's my desire that our church, this house, as well as your home, be a place uh, where there's an atmosphere that's positive and it's full of faith. And I pray that your house, as well as this house, will be a place where we believe in one another where we encourage one another and we engineer those who are younger than us for success. In fact, that's even part of the core structure of our church. That's the way we're set up. And see, this house, this church, and your house, we work in cooperation to pull this off. And the only way it works is for both this house, your local church, and your home to be operating under the principles of God's word. So I'm going to tell you how that works and how that functions. So let's take a look at the first of the three scriptures that I asked you to turn to today. The first one is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. This is a passage of scripture you should have marked in your Bible. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And in this passage, Paul addresses both children and parents. Take a look at it. It says, children... Obey. You say that word obey. God, God, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he says something else, which is different than obey. He says, 
honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. So the fifth commandment that God gave to Moses of the 10 commandments was that children are to honor their parents. And I'll say this clearly, this coupled with what I just read in Ephesians, it's clear that as long as you are under your parents' roof, you are obligated to obey your parents. And we are commanded to honor our parents until they die. And if you do this, there's a promise attached to it for you that things will actually go well in your life and that you'll have a long life. Paul also says in this passage, he talks to fathers or basically parents in the home. And he said, you are not to provoke your children in such a way that takes, uh, that, that your children are, are provoked to anger. And, and, and I, I know it's true. Every child gets angry at their parents every once in a while. That just happens. That's, that's part of life. But the key word here is to not provoke. That word provoke means to rouse to wrath. So instead of rousing your children to wrath, it's this constant provoking to anger and to wrath, which is, which is pretty intense. What we're to do, the scripture says, is to bring them up. So, so it doesn't say push, it doesn't say shove, but it says bring. If you're going to bring a gift to someone else, you're going to take it in your hands or you're going to present it to them. And it's a, it's a gentle nudging. And that's what we're to do. It says bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Okay, now discipline. Discipline is not fun. A discipline is not easy. It, it's Discipline is definitely uncomfortable for the person being disciplined. And, and, and it's, it's not even necessarily something fun for the person who's giving the discipline. Now, it also talks about instruction. Instruction means there's a regular teaching. There's a regular uh, speaking about God's word and practical application of godly values. Now, God outlines this for us really clear in the book of Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy chapter 11, put this up on the screens, verse 18, it says, God says, take these words of mind to heart and to soul, okay? So God's saying, I want you to get this into your heart, into your soul. He didn't say just get it into your head. He wants you to get it into who you are, what motivates you, what inspires you. So God says, get this. Don't just put it, file it away in your brain, but let it be part of your life, part of you. He said, you shall also teach them, teach his words, teach them to your sons, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, this is before they had cars. So in today's version, we would say when you drive down the road, when you lie down and when you get up, what this says is in your home, my friend, we should have constant discussion about the word of God, the application of God's word and talk about godly values. We have to talk about it. It doesn't just happen. We have to talk about it. He says also, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How do we do that? 
Some of you, you're probably not going to go out to the front of your house and start writing scriptures out there. I mean, if you do, fine, good for you. It's your house. But, but there are a lot of things you can do. You, you, if you come over to our house or you see these things, quite often we'll have some scriptures or some promises from God posted on the refrigerator. Do that. And, and, and you know, even if you have to put little post-it notes with, with scriptures on it, put them up. Put them up. Constant reminders. Get a, get a plaque. Get some art. Put some things up in your home where God's word is going to be spoken to you regularly. I still remember some of the scriptures my mother and father had in the house because it was drilled into me because I saw it every day. I saw the images, the artwork of God. I remember so clearly just spending hours and hours looking at the picture of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem that my parents had in our home growing up. And still, that's one of my favorite images of God. And so we we get these things, get them into your home. And it says, if you do this, there's a reward at the end of it. It says, so that your days, that means of the parents, the grandparents, those who are leading the home, your days and the days of your sons may be increased. Wow, that's huge right there. There's a blessing that comes on you and there's a blessing that goes on your children or your grandchildren when you are keeping God's word active in the home, when you're talking about it, when you're coming and you're going and you're getting God's word into your heart and into your soul, when you're teaching this to those who are in your home. That's a blessing. There's a reward. Those are very deliberate actions that the word of God tells us to do if we want to have a healthy family. In fact, if you want to have a good time on earth, do these things. And you might say, well, where do I start? Well, just start today. If nothing else, go home and get a post-it note and put it, up, put it up somewhere on the wall and start there. Remind yourself of God's word and keep it out. Even if you live alone, you say, but I live by myself. Good. That's all the more reason you should just do whatever you want because you're not going to have a spouse to critique what you're actually putting up there on the walls, all right? That never happens in my house because I let her put everything up on the walls and she tells me whether it's right or wrong. And it's always good. It's always good. But I'll tell you, one of the worst things a parent or a grandparent can do, which is becoming more fashionable in today's culture is, uh, is to let children and teens just figure things out on their own. I've even heard a lot of believers say that, and, and I'm not talking to anybody in this room, because none of you have said this to me, but I've heard a lot of believers say, well, we're just going to let our kids figure things out on their own, because I had to, or it's just better that way. I don't want to force God on them. I want to let them choose. I want them to figure that out on their own. But I'll just be really clear with you. That is lazy parenting, and secondly, you are setting your child up for failure and potentially a lost eternity or an eternity in hell. Do you understand that? This is serious business. You're violating God's word if you say, I'm just going to let them figure it out on their own. I know the culture says that's the thing to do, but we are not of the culture. The scripture says we live in the culture, but we are not of the culture. So what I want to do for you for just a few minutes here, I want to give you some really, really practical advice. This is biblical practical advice regarding how you can help create this atmosphere in your home. And first of all, here it is. Help each child to feel, feel loved, accepted, and wanted. 
When you correct, do not use negative terms. Your words are very, very powerful. Parents, grandparents, hear me well. Use words to build them up rather than tear them apart. I always, I always told my sons, and I even tell, I've been telling my grandson this as well, is that when you grow up, you're going to be a mighty man of God, a mighty man of God. In fact, one of my sons, at one point, I, I just said, who are you? I was expecting him to say, tell, tell me his name. You know, it was just part of something we were doing for fun. He says, I am a mighty boy of God. It's like, well, yeah, he's getting it. He's getting it. So begin to instill, just speak that over them and, and, and do it even when they're not acting their best. Do it. Because our words either give life or death and never, ever say things like, you're not going to amount to anything. You're such a brat. You're such a disappointment or you're such an embarrassment to me. Never go there. Your words have power. Here's the second principle. Model moral and spiritual values in your home. The key word there is model. It doesn't say dictate. Model them. Model. Your kids are watching your every move and they're looking to parents, they're looking to grandparents to instill these values into them that they're going to carry on into adulthood. I, I love it. You know, one, one of my, in fact, even one of my, my, my grandson, I just have one grandson, but he, there's a little coloring sheet that has been up in my house for, for several weeks and I, I'm not quite sure which one of them did it or anything, but every time he walks past that, he just looks at it and points at it and he says, there's Moses. Now, actually, it's not Moses that's in the picture. It's just like Joseph and Mary, but he, that's Moses to him and, and he just loves it because he's talking about God's word and we're, we, we talk about these things in our home and we instill them in our home. And, and really, in your home, you should teach honesty, uh, teach integrity and love, model loyalty, model faith, model truth, model dependability, model humility. Just to ask you a question, you don't have to answer it for me, but just think, are, are they learning from you to resist authority or to cooperate with authority? What are they seeing in you? Are they learning from you the importance of ministering to others, ministering to those who have less, to the poor? Do they see duplicity in your character, one way you act at church and another way you act at home? Are they learning the value of being the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Here's another point. Pray for and pray over your children. Those are two different things. Pray for and pray over your children. See, your prayers hold power. Uh, parents, begin praying for your children while they are still in the womb. This is something we practiced as, as you know, when we had children, and I encourage you to do it as well. Begin, lay hands on that child. Lay hands on that womb and say, God, bless this child. God, bring them up. And, and you know, a, a thing that you can even begin to do at that point as you're praying for them, as you're praying over them, God, and bring them a wonderful spouse someday in the future that's gonna, that they're going to walk together in harmony. Now's the time to begin because that life is already there and it's already flourishing. We believe that life begins at conception. So start the prayers immediately. And you know, that's praying over them. Uh, Pray, pray with them at bedtime. Set up bedtime routines. Now, once they become teenagers, they may not want to do that. And, and you know, at a certain point, you can go ahead and let go of that. But you need to be praying for your teens. Uh, 
even before they leave, to go hang out with friends. Do that. Pray over them while they're sleeping. Pray over their rooms. Pray, pray over their vehicles. See, God answers prayer. Here's another one. is cultivate open and honest communication every day. Do that. Discuss daily events. And this is, this, again, this all goes back to these Deuteronomic principles that are, that are there for us. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things that I would do with my boys is, is I'd say, hey, let's go outside, which means let's get away from the video screens, okay? Let's, let's go outside and let's talk about what happened today. So, so what, what made you really happy today? What made you angry today? What, what challenges did you have today? And what I found out is those are actually some of the best opportunities where you're not having to just give them scripture or give them information, but those opportunities will open up the door to say, well, here's the way to handle this because God's word says this or God's word says that. You can give them wisdom and godly advice because you're in their day. You're, 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 you have this honest and open communication and a big part of it is listening. Listen and let them know you hear what they're saying. And then reflect back to your own experiences as a child or a teen. And here's another one is develop a positive atmosphere by using positive language. Come on, get that. Develop a positive atmosphere by using... Start with yourself. Refuse to use negative words in the home. Don't let those words come off. Parents, you're in control of the atmosphere of your home, not the kids. Parents, take control. And if you are positive, your kids have a chance of being positive in a very, very negative culture. And, and they're going to be a product of the atmosphere that's, that's in the home. And that's why uh, your, your home should be full of faith, full of optimism instead of negativity and pessimism, which is going to end up bringing about very weak children. Here's another one is be consistent in loving discipline. Now, consistency is the key here. See, a healthy uh, system of discipline. It's paramount in your home. Of course, abuse is out of the question, but you absolutely must have clearly understood and clearly communicated boundaries and methods of discipline that you stick with, even when you don't feel like it. And even if it means when they're in younger years that you post some of the rules of the house for them to see and point at them and look at them, that it's there for you. Now, Sometimes I know children can feel like your rules or the mandates of Scripture is, is some type of a strategy that you have to keep them from enjoying themselves or doing fun things, but it's not a cage to fence them in. What it is, it's a guardrail to prevent them from plunging off the edge of the cliff into some dangerous and painful situations, some of the situations you as an adult may have faced situations that will potentially be very difficult for them to recover from. See, discipline is for their good and not for their harm. Now, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17 says this, and I have a bunch of extra scriptures up there, so you can take a look at that. Take a picture of that, because you don't even have time to write it down. But get that, get that down, because these are some scriptures that are just in one book of the Bible, just one about disciplining kids, teens, here is the first one. Proverbs 29, 17 says, correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. 
So, so many Proverbs speak about this issue of discipline. And, and in fact, one of those actually says, if you don't discipline your child, that means you hate your child. Did you catch that? Wow. I didn't write it, but it's there. That's a serious accusation. So, so be consistent in loving discipline. The next one is give responsibility at an early age. Train them in godly things. Train them in responsibility at an early age. Uh, give them re- things that they're supposed to do around the house. I mean, this is really, really practical. Well, like with my boys, we had something that we called chores. They had to do chores. In fact, they were written up and up on the... In fact, Rebecca even had fun with them before they could even read. They were little pictures of the chores they had to do. And if they didn't have their chores done by the end of the week they would not get their full allowance. We didn't even call it allowance. We called it commission because we wanted to teach them this really good principle. If you do the work, you get a commission. And this is a principle that goes into their lives. So you do this, you get the commission. You don't do it, you don't get the commission. Now, in their very early ages, the commission wasn't even money. It was, I don't know, it may have been like fruit treats or something like that. I'm not quite sure what it was. But, but have something set up, a reward system that works with them. Give them responsibility. It trains them to handle responsibility in their future. That's a, that, that is a job of parents to do. And another thing is to be in the know regarding their friends and their location. And it is much easier to do the location thing now than ever before, especially with smartphones. Always, I just say, always, always, always know your child's friends. You need to know where they are and who they're with when they're away from your house. Uh, you remember, friends will either help your child or they can ruin your child. And do not let your child have the final say on who his or her friends will be or will not be. Maybe who will not be, but, but not, not who they will be. See, friends have significant influence on your children. And I want you to think, if you're an adult, I want you to think back on your childhood and your teenage years. Think about the friends that had influence on you that was not positive. Now you know it's like that still, and I think it's even more so like that. Be honest with yourself. Uh, I, I, I can't emphasize this more strong. Always know your child's friends. Here's another one. Instill a sense of purpose, decision-making, and problem-solving skills into their life. You want your children to have a sense of purpose. That way, they will know that they are on this earth for a purpose, that God put them on this earth for a purpose. That is huge in creating a foundation for a healthy life. And never, ever tell a child or a teen that they were an accident or they were an unwanted child. Instead, let them know that God is preparing them to be influencers and change agents in the culture for the days ahead. And that's why they're on earth. Give them that sense of purpose. And here's another one is to teach and model respect. Respect them and model that to them and teach them to respect others. Some of the ones that I would do with my boys was this. is like, do not talk when other people are talking. You listen. You listen. You say words like, excuse me, and please, and thank you. I taught my boys that when they're interacting with adults, 
you know, little kids have, have quieter voices usually, and I would say speak clearly, look them in the eye, shake their hand, and smile. Always do that, and they, they still have that down to this day. It's really funny because I saw my oldest son T- teaching this to his daughter now. Like, yeah, that. he goes, yeah, dad, we learned that from you and it works, it's good. That's, th- those are little things that they can do. Teach them to speak confidently. Teach them to speak clearly and with cheer. Another one is to teach and model worship and prayer at an early age. That's the final of these principles here. I mean, show them how good God really is and how big God is and how much dad and mom and grandma and grandpa really love God. Let them know that you love going to church and you have a great time in church. And when they get out of church, if they've been in the children's ministry, talk about what they learned. If they're teens, talk about what we all learned together. Let them see you worship and pray at home. Worship and pray in church. Worship and pray in the car. What you do, they will emulate. Now guys, the, the culture is getting darker and darker. And I don't want any of us to be afraid of the culture. You know, I don't want us to, we, we can't isolate ourselves from the culture. We are to be change agents within the culture. Yet at the same time, the home must be an ark of safety from the turbulence of the world. Think of Noah's ark, how it was an ark of safety from the craziness of the world. Now, at the same time, I'm sure Noah's Ark had some odors in it. It wasn't just the most wonderful palace to live in. <laughs> Yet at the same time, there was safety and security there when the, when the earth was flooded. And I, I, I know all parents make mistakes. Parents say and do wrong things, and then they feel horrible terrible about it later and we're human but I believe that even when we in our humanity we just keep seeking God and seeking Christ with all of our hearts even even then in the midst of our flawed humanity Christ still shows up and God will help you God will bless your household in spite of your mistakes just keep him the center of your home at the same time I'd say probably the most heartbreaking thing is to watch a son or a daughter rebel against Christ and walk away from what they have been taught. Um, Now, parents, wherever you are, if, if that's happened to you, it's tempting to blame yourself believing, well, maybe there's something that I didn't do or I, I could have done it better or whatever. But we have to understand every person, every person eventually will choose their own path. They will. You did. (laughs) And others behind you will do the same. But something I have seen through the years is that many times, in fact, I would say very often, in fact, most often, sometimes like many, many decades later, they do come back to the Lord because of what was instilled in them at a younger age Please understand, eternity is the most important thing for them. So you just keep loving them. That's why parents and grandparents, you've got to keep Jesus at the center of your home. Establish Christ as the center of your household, and you do it through your words and your actions, through your habits and your traditions. This is a season of traditions, Thanksgiving tradition. 
Christmas, establish traditions and and make those traditions be built around Christ. Discuss faith every day. Be in church every week. Um, serve, Serve the community. Don't be negative about the church and don't be negative especially about other Christians in your home because what you do, they will very likely emulate in their own lives. And when I was growing up at home, I was, a, I was in a pastor's home and I thank God my parents shielded me from a lot of the shenanigans that church people did, <laughs> you know. Uh, there, there were people at our churches that, that just... Uh, like. I don't know if they were saved at all. I mean, there, there was just, there were some things. They just, just did some crazy stuff. And, and my parents protected us from those things. My parents wouldn't speak even negatively about those, those situations. And what that did in me is that, is that I, I grew to love the church. I grew to love the things of God. And I was really surprised when I saw a Christian acting out and doing some things that were obviously not Christian at all. I, I, for example, I remember this one time, and it really marked me. It, 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 it hit me hard, and I didn't learn about all the details of it till I was a, an adult later on. But there was this woman in our church when I, was a, when I was about 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, and she was looked at as like one of the most spiritual. Everyone thought this woman had, like, she was spiritual. I mean, and you got to think, this is, back in the, this is back in the 70s, and she, she had like her big hairsprayed hair, you know, up to here. And, and we thought, wow, that, that lady is spiritual. She's, she, she's got it all together. I mean, she would be the one to testify and talk about the goodness of God. And I was like, wow, you know, that woman, she's like more spiritual than my mom. I don't, I don't know. But I remember one day she came to the front door and she was cussing and she was re- say, calling, accusing my mother of being demon possessed and all kinds of stuff. I, wa- I witnessed that and I thought, wait a minute. Everybody's not perfect. And I, and I saw years later, my parents explained to me the trouble that she actually was, but I didn't have a negative feeling. About, I, at that point, I began to learn, well, there are some people who go to church who just really are, are fakers, but that's okay. God says in the end, he's gonna take care of it himself. We're not supposed to take care of it. There are some. God says at the end, I'll take care of it myself. You just let it stay. So I'm grateful for that, that I didn't have negativity instilled in me from my own parents about the church or about people in the church and simply love the people under your roof the same way that God loves you. You know, parents, grandparents, you need to let those kids know that there's nothing that can separate you from the love you have from them. There's nothing they can do. I will always love you you always that's the same way God is toward us and I I had two imperfect but loving parents I still believe I had the best parents in the world I I do but I also had three children in my home and Rebecca and I we've done our best to raise them to love and to serve the Lord we did the things that I just talked about those are those are tried and true principles We, we did those things and I'm grateful because at this point in my life and in my family, all of my children are serving the Lord, and I'm glad. As adults, they're serving God. But I also had four siblings. I still have four siblings. I have three older brothers, one we've been praying for recently, and I have a younger sister. Uh, plus, as a parent, I have 
enjoyed dealing with sibling issues. Watching that, we used to do something in our home when they, they would they would fight and they would argue or there would be a conflict. We would do this thing called Woody Court. We would do Woody Court, and I would put something on my head, kind of like an old judge from the 1700s. I'd put a wig on my head. I'd put a mop on my head or something. And they'd start laughing every time. Okay, I'm going to be the judge. You present your case. You present yours, and get them to calm down. They would present both sides of the issue. And usually, by the end of it, they were laughing. They're all getting along. But I'll tell you what: sibling issues are tough. Uh, they began with the first family, Cain and Abel. And you know, that's, that's where the first murder occurred. And hopefully you've not been tempted to murder one of your siblings. But sibling challenges can be huge, massive. But I want to talk seriously about this because you don't want to go the way of Cain. He was jealous of his brother and he hated his brother to the grave. As a result, God judged Cain for how he treated his brother. And I know from experience that siblings can say and do some horrible things to each other. Now, I was never one to do anything horrible to my siblings, no, but it's the others. But, but they, they do. In my years of ministry at the same time, I've seen some of the deepest hate in people due to unresolved issues regarding their siblings that many times go back to when they were even children. Things that never worked out and just became worse and worse and worse and grew to something absolutely grotesque. Of course, this ought not be. And I know you might say, but pastor, you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand what they said to me. Well, I want you to look at that second scripture I gave you today. 1 John four twenty. Yeah, it's true. I don't know what they said to you. I don't know how they treated you, but I do know what God's word says about it. And I'll tell you guys, this is a tough pill to swallow, but I've got to teach God's word. Listen to this. This is one of the most sobering passages in the Bible. It says, if someone says, I love God, yet he hates his brother or sister, he is a what? A liar. For the one who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot, say cannot, cannot, that underline, circle that word in your Bibles, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Did you, did you catch that? If you hate your sibling and you come to church and you sing, oh God, I love you so much. And oh, I just go around telling people, I love the Lord so much. You are a liar. <laughs> You're a liar. You don't love God because you don't love your brother or your sister. I mean, did you, did you guys even know that was in the Bible? Yeah, most, most pastors don't preach on that one because it's kind of hard and, and a lot of people throw eggs at you and I'll probably get some e emails on this one. But you know what? I'm going to preach God's word. I know y'all don't send emails. Y'all send text messages. So, but <laughs> in fact, John makes it really super clear that this is a commandment from God, a commandment. If you love God, you must love your brother and sister and it doesn't matter whether they love you back or not. That's, that's part of it. 
You now have to try to win them over, win their love over. They don't have to love you back, but you have to love them. And some of you have fractured relationships with your siblings, and you may not even know why. I don't even know how it happened or what happened. Like you just showed up one day, and all of a sudden there's this wall there. And, but that's not a reason to stop loving them. Now, you may not like them. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say, say we're supposed to like everybody, because you may not like everybody. But the scripture is clear that you must love them. It doesn't mean that you have to build a, a relationship and you have to put yourself out there to be their doormat. No, but you must love them. Now, look at this next passage in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. This is the third scripture I asked you to look up today. I'm wrapping up with this passage right here. Jesus had obviously been teaching on the topic of forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18. And, and Peter, he was convicted in his heart. He was there listening. And, and it's very likely that, uh, that he was having some conflict with one of his own brothers who happened to be right there with him. And, and so, so Peter asked Jesus in front of the rest, like, okay, you know, Peter came up to him, Lord, how many times should my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Do you see that? Forgiveness on your part is the key. It's not about what they do to you or what they did to you. It's about your response. Forgive and keep forgiving. Pray for them. Ask God to bless them every day. If you're having anxiety in your heart and you're feeling feelings of, of, of hate or anger toward them, just ask God to bless them. If their birthday's coming up, just get them a birthday card and put it in the mail. At the very least, text them on holidays. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. God bless you. Their response is not what you're responsible for. You are responsible for your attitude of love. And if you can forgive and if you can love your siblings, even when they are rascals, then you can also love God. That's truth. I want us to make this commitment right now in this place to love God with all of our hearts. Love our parents. Love our children. Love your grandchildren. Love your siblings. Because that's how God does toward us. God loves us and God has forgiven us and he loves you in spite of how you act sometimes. See, God wants Christianity to be modeled on this earth and it is best modeled within the family. Lack of forgiveness toward other family members, it will hold you back spiritually and it will prevent your prayers from being answered. So family is serious business. And so I ask you, are you willing to live out real Christianity? It's challenging you take what I said serious and you believe God's word, it's challenging, but you can and you must. Let's pray. God, I pray for every man and woman, every person in this room. I pray that the peace of God will overwhelm us and that you will give us love in our hearts toward children, toward parents, toward siblings toward those who are part of our household and even extended households. God, forgive us for 
the, the times when we have, we've acted out. We've said things and done things that do not reflect your character. God, forgive us for holding resentment or even hatred in our hearts toward another family member. God, we believe your word and we believe it's true. And Lord, we want to have a whole, we want to have a whole and complete relationship with you. We do love you, God. Help us to love one another. Help us to love those who are part of our own household. And God, in this corrupt culture that you've placed us in, you've placed us here to make a difference. You've placed us here to to reach out to others. You've placed us here to do the things like we're even doing today, church, or New Year's Eve, the Christmas Eve service. God, you've placed us here to do these things. You've placed us here to make a difference. You've placed us here to have healthy families. But God, we do admit that it's hard sometimes. It's difficult at times. God, we do admit that sometimes we just feel like throwing in the towel and saying, forget it. I'm I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of loving. I'm tired of being the bigger person. Lord, I pray that you will just keep your conviction on us and help us to remember that loving you is contingent upon how we love those who are closest to us. Let us be people who love. Let us be real, legitimate Christians who emulate the principles of God, the kingdom of God, and who are filled with the love of God regardless of what others throw at us. Let this be in our lives. Let this be in our church. Let this be in our homes. Let this be in our extended households. God, I also pray specifically for various family members. I pray for children who are struggling in their home with relationship towards siblings and parents. I pray that you'll just give them an overwhelming sense of peace and even forgiveness toward their own parents, understanding that no parent is perfect and no sibling is perfect and no household is perfect. God, I pray that you'll bless parents. God, even to take the the tools that I put into their hands today and the scriptures that I've given them to, to, to build healthy, thriving homes and to not give up and to fight for their families. Oh God, pray for grandparents to model and to live out this thing of their faith, of Christian faith, to emulate it to their children and to their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. God, pray for siblings, for those who are even far from you or those who just don't want to have anything to do with various ones of us. God, will you just bless them? Come on, just just pray blessing on that sibling or those siblings that have just been rotten to you. Can we do that? Yeah, we just pray, pray blessing over them. Bless them in spite of what they've done and what they've said. Bless them in Jesus' name. God, I also 
finally pray for children and parents and siblings who are far from you. Those who have rejected you and who are living their own way. We pray that the conviction of God will be upon them. The love of Christ will go toward them and that they will even see and sense the atmosphere of love, the attitude of love, and the spirit of love that flows from us. Bring them to repentance, God. Bring them to repentance. Let not one person from homes and households be left on this earth at the return of the Lord because they didn't give their life to you. Let the conviction of God be strong and great among them. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Everybody said, Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Church podcast. I would love for you to attend one of our worship services right here in downtown Fort Worth. So if you'd like more information, simply go to citylifefw.org. God bless.